Are you ready for God's word this morning? Come on, let's stand together and read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you gave everything. You spilled your blood because you were building something very important. And so have your way in us and put us together in the way that you see fit and reveal your purpose in us and your glory through us in Jesus' name. And everyone said, you may be seated. Okay, so last week we were together and we looked at this word, ecclesia. This is what Jesus said that he was building. And we saw how God is calling us out. He's called us out from death to life. He's called us out of the brokenness and the decay and the corruption of this world that surrounds us. It is the call of the groom to his bride. It is the call of the lover to his beloved. Come away with me. And you and I are being called out of a lot of things. That is true. But we are not a bunch of people just randomly running around in every direction away from stuff. A year ago this month marks that, uh, that month that we had the Oroville Dam near disaster. Remember that? It was a Sunday. How can we forget, right? And because we all live in the, in the path of this potential flood, what were we doing? We were all packing up of our, our cars. We were putting valuable things up on the shelves or in your attics or maybe on a second floor. And then do you remember trying to get out of town? Remember that last year? That was fun. I mean, I'm, I'll just skip over the part where, you know, I'm at the gas station trying to, you know, fill up my truck and the, and the minivans behind me, and they're freaking out because they think the gas station's going to close in the middle of this emergency. And what, I'm, okay, I just let it go. I don't even think about it anymore. It's all gone now. <laughs> but how many, right, of us were in cars trying to get out of town a year ago? Remember that? It took hours. It took two hours to get from your house, from my parents' house, down Stabler to Queens to the intersection of 99 and 20. Two hours to go one mile. Help us. What I'm getting at is people were panicked. They were escaping. You know, there, was a, there might have been a disaster and traffic wasn't just blocked in one direction. Every single road on the way out of town was jammed. It was gridlocked. It's like, you know, how my wife describes on 9-11, because she used to work, you know, at the Pentagon. And everyone in D.C. was trying to get out. They were trying to get away. They were trying to escape. They were going anywhere else except for where they thought the danger was. And there is visible and there is invisible gridlock happening right now. Everywhere you go, people are trying to escape. Am I right? And some of them are using romantic relationships or alcohol or substances or they just throw themselves into a career or into a hobby, anything to anesthetize that perpetual emptiness inside, that deep dissatisfaction. And people everywhere are gridlocked. And Jesus is calling to us. And when he called to us, he didn't just yell from heaven, run, run. No, what did he say? He said, come, come to me. 
You see a lot of people, they're just running without a destination in mind. They're just trying to get out. They're just trying to get away from something, trying to escape. And I just want to share something that I've learned. I've learned that if you are just leaving stuff, if you're just trying to run, if you're just trying to escape something, that's going to be unsuccessful. You can't just leave stuff just to leave it. You have to run to something. And I've seen it so many times. People, you know, just trying to run away from taxes in California and they're, and they're getting out. People just quitting jobs because they can't take it anymore. People who retire with no plan on what they're going to do with the rest of their life. And they're just leaving. They're just running. They're trying to escape. But we are not just called out of something. We are called to something. Did you hear that? You are being called to something, to a gathering. Being a follower of Jesus does not just mean that you've escaped a life of slavery to sin or an eternity in hell. You are not called to be alone and saved. You are called to be part of an assembly. This is what Jesus said, I'm building. You see, that word that Jesus was using is a political term, ecclesia. He said, like, you know, we were talking about last week, Jesus isn't creating a democracy because he's already the king. He has all the power. He doesn't need to run for office because anybody who holds an office is under him. But the assembly that he's talking about is a group of people who came together to make decisions about important matters that affect the whole community. A group of people whose decisions affect everyone. And that is who we are. We are a part of the kingdom that Jesus has established. And look at the verse in 1 Corinthians again. Just as a body, the one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized into one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And do you see a theme in the verse? One body, one body, one spirit, one spirit, one part. We are one. We are called to be one. There aren't a million different Holy Spirits. There's one spirit, and he's called us to be one body. And how many of you know that one part of the body affects all the other parts, right? If you, your foot gets broken, then what happens? You compensate on the other side, right? Suddenly the rest of your body has to make up for it. It's got to work a little bit harder to relieve some of the pressure while that foot heals, if your kidneys break down and now all of the toxins that it have been removing start to build up and now you've got a problem, right? Because all the parts are designed to be together, to assemble, and they all affect each other. And when you start eating right and when you start exercising and when you quit bad habits, guess what? The whole body benefits. And it's the same with us. We all affect each other. We were called to. We were designed to. Your private decisions that you think, you know, they only affect you. Uh Uh-uh. You are a part of this body. And what you choose to do in your spare time, and when you forgive the unforgivable, when you push through the obstacles of life by faith, and when you choose to stay a virgin, when everybody else is giving their body away, when you pursue excellence, when you pursue faithfulness, when you pursue loyalty, the whole body benefits. You are bringing everyone up with you. Because we were called to be one. But there's an instruction on on the label of the package. It says, 
assembly required. Jesus is building something. He's building something in you and something for you, something through you that is for you, and it's for the whole body. And when you're building anything, whether it's an airplane or a house or that piece of furniture that you brought home from Ikea, anything that you set about to build, first it's got to be broken down into you know, its most basic parts so that then those parts can be properly fitted together in the correct sequence in order to complete the thing that you set about to build. Right? We all remember playing with Legos, right? Y'all played with Legos, right? Those little tiny, you know, weird-shaped objects, you know, that, that they're deadly when you step on them in the middle of the night when you got up to go across the house, right? We pick them up all over the house endlessly. Why? Because every little part, no matter how small, it's essential if you're going to make the ultimate bat cave. <laughs> and this church is made up of tiny, little, weird-shaped people. <laughs> and I'm talking about me too here. We're all uniquely formed, and we're deadly when stepped on. And we're small, and we're ineffective alone by ourselves. But when we assemble according to the instructions, we build the ultimate Holy Spirit Avengers Tower. It's awesome. Praise God. And in Matthew chapter 18, when Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. Jesus is saying that you and I, we cannot fulfill our role in his kingdom in isolation. Nothing living can survive in a vacuum. I'm not speaking of salvation here. I'm speaking of what Jesus is building, moving forward from that moment where you confessed your faith and your trust in Jesus and a new spirit was born in you. See, we were called to God, but we were also being called together because Jesus is building something. Back in Genesis, there was a bunch of people who understood this, that small things can make great things if they assemble together in the correct way. Here it is in Genesis 11. Now, the whole world had one language and a common speech. And as people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar, and they settled there. And they said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. And then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. And some of you are familiar with the story. You might remember it. This is the story of the Tower of Babel. You see, they wanted to make something great, something big. They spoke one language. They had one purpose, and they were all in agreement. And there's a lot about the story that we just we don't even have time for in this conversation this morning. But I want to point out one thing here for you. They specified that they wanted to use bricks instead of stone. Lots and lots of bricks. Why is that significant? I'm so glad you asked me that question. Because a brick is not unique. A brick is uniform. Every brick looks like every other brick. There's nothing unique about a brick. There's nothing creative. There's nothing special about a brick. Bricks are man-made. Stones are God-made. Satan wants to use bricks to build his purposes. He wants you to be self-made. He wants you to be the same. He wants you to be disposable. He wants you to be replaceable. Don't you see this in the systems of this world? 
Society is cool with you looking different as long as you don't think different. You could have tattoos or piercings or hair colors or any sexual orientation or predilection or addiction you want, but you better not draw lines between right and wrong. And some of you might have this, you know, wrong idea about church that you've got to somehow smash and mangle yourself or your personality or your abilities just to fit in. But God didn't make bricks. He made stones that are unique with different colors and different properties. And that's what he wants to build his church with. You see it in Exodus chapter 20. If you make an altar of stones for me, do not build it with dressed stones. That means cut stones. No, for you will defile it if you use a tool on it. He created you uniquely. He made you to be different. Can I ask you guys to be transparent this morning? Have any of you ever felt at any time in your life that you didn't fit in? Raise your hand if you felt like you didn't fit in at some point in your life. Yeah, that's everybody here. Makes me wonder where all the people who thought they fit in were. You see, the systems of Satan and his kingdom, they want to diminish who you are. They want to diminish your creativity. They want to diminish your productivity. They want to turn you into a commodity, into a statistic, into a number, just your body into a collection of parts. Satan wants to rob you of everything that God has made you to be. But God created you to be unique. He made you weird for a purpose. (laughs) Because he isn't interested in you fitting in. He wants you to stand out. But listen to me, you weren't called to fit in, but you were called to fit together. Watch what it says in 1 Peter chapter 2. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Each of us is like a rock, a rock that Jesus has picked up for his collection. And he saw you lying there all by yourself alone. And he said, I love you. You're beautiful. And I know just where to fit you into my house. I'm building something special. And I know just where I'm going to put you. And Jesus fit us together to form a whole in unity, not in uniformity. God created us uniquely so that we could serve each other in our uniqueness. We who belong to the kingdom that is coming are God's unique workmanship. Each one of us is his work of art. Ephesians chapter 2, for we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he planned for us to do long ago. You see, God doesn't want you to just be a carbon copy of anybody else. He made you with your own set of fingerprints. He made you with unique eyes and a unique skin color and a unique face and a unique personality because you are God's work of art. And he's not interested in erasing your backstory. No, he wants to use it for his glory. And all the things that you've learned about life, all the things that you've learned about God, he wants to show himself off through you in a way that is unique to you, to everyone around you. You see, it's one thing to get excited because Jesus has a great plan for this world. He has a great plan for his kingdom. But it's just as true to say that Jesus has a great plan for you. He wants to use you to affect everyone around you. And we're all different, but we are called to be one. Galatians chapter 3. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. 
You and I are being called out of a corrupt and dying world to Christ and to his assembly, whose purpose is to be an extension of his kingdom right here in our generation, right here in our time, right here in this community, to be an example to everyone who who can look to it and see and know what to expect when the kingdom of God is going to come and appear on the earth. They can see that we have the solutions, and we should be bold in expressing that. Because we are being called together. Because only together can we display that everything that this broken world is longing for, everything that it is hoping for, is a reality in our lives right now. We're not called to follow alone. Jesus didn't tell us to just, you know, read the word by yourself or, you know, just listen to a message on podcast. Just watch some Christian stuff on TV. No, he called us to assemble together. He calls the church his assembly, his bride. And how many times have you heard somebody say, well, I really like, you know, I like Jesus, but the church, I, you know, I can't stand the church. Problems with the church, right? We've all heard that. And let me ask you this. How many of you, you know, would keep a friend that really liked you, but hated your spouse? That wanted to hang out with you, but didn't want anything to do with her? No, you wouldn't. Jesus says, the way that you show me that you love me is love my bride. John chapter 21, a third time Jesus asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. He was not vague. Explicitly, he's saying, you say you love me. You say you want to be mine. Stick with my bride. Take care of her. This is how you show me that you love me. And it's the way that we show deployed military that we care about them, not just by thanking them for their service. No, we take care of their spouse or their family while they're gone. We fix things around the house and get them groceries, make sure they have what they need, and let them know they're not forgotten. If you love the groom, take care of the bride. And to do that, we have to be connected. You cannot be a part of an assembly all by yourself. See you next week. No, this is more than just about your physical presence here. It's about participation. You can be present together, assembled, but not connected. Alone together. And we've all been out. We've seen that couple, right, in the restaurant. We've seen that family in the restaurant sitting together, not talking to each other, not making eye contact with each other, just on their phone, or the kids have their headsets on. They're lost in some device. They're they're alone together. And you can be in a crowd of people and still be alone, disconnected. And all of our latest technologies means that we've got more access to more people and more social networks, but we find ourselves with less real connections, fewer real lasting relationships, because now everybody's disposable. In the past, you couldn't run from an uncomfortable relationship or an uncomfortable conversation or a situation or a difficult personality as easily. Because, you know, you had your clan, you had your tribe, right? And you had to learn how to navigate conflict, or you just were a miserable person for the rest of your life. But now, you know, if somebody says something to you that you don't like, what? You just, well, you just delete them from your friends list. You, you, right? You just block them. No, this is the opposite of what Jesus is calling us to do. Jesus said, where two or three gather in my name, I'm there. There cannot be rewards without risks. You have to be okay with being wrong once in a while. 
You got to be okay with getting your ego stepped on and bruised. Okay with being inconvenienced. You see, you don't actually get to use anything like grace or forgiveness or kindness unless there's somebody else there to give them to and to receive them from. Hebrews chapter 10. Let us not neglect the meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near because we need each other. And the basic building block of what Jesus is making, his ecclesia, is two. Just you and somebody else. That's enough to get together and get kingdom business done and accomplished. And that's why I'm so grateful that I have a godly wife at home. You know, she loves Jesus all on her own. She worships Jesus all on her own. She has a passion for God that's of her own. It's not something I have to, like, drag her along on matters of faith. And that's why it's so important for everybody who wants to be married to exercise wisdom and patience and restraint so that you can really observe another person to really get a sense of what their priorities are and whether their pursuit of God is something that is real or it isn't. Because when you have a spouse that is a child of God and that is being led by the Spirit who's as passionate as you are, the two of you, just the two of you, you can have church in your home. You can have church in your car. You can have it anywhere that you might be. And I can't tell you the number of times that Kirsten and I have just been at home talking about the things of the Lord and then a beautiful presence of the Holy Spirit would just come into the room and just break our hearts while we're talking about what God has put on our heart. And that's God's intention for your marriage because your home can be that basic building block of his ecclesia. And the same applies to the circle of friends that you choose to be around you. If the body was just a bunch of separated parts like a Frankenstein that just is stitched together, it wouldn't work. A hand stuck on a wrist, it's not going to magically work. No, every part of the, of the body has to be connected to each other. It means that every part is served by some other part and then serves some other part. Just like we need to feed and then be fed. And there is a lie that some Christians have been deceived into believing that in the ecclesia, that there is no order, that there's no structure, there's no accountability in it, that the body of Christ is, is like a beehive, and that Jesus Christ is like the queen of the hive. I kid you not, I've actually heard this. It's a thing. And in this beehive analogy, you know, every, all the other bees, they just take their directives directly from Queen Bee Jesus and instinctively and perfectly execute all of the labor and all the things that need to ha- missions that need to happen for the hive with no other structure involved than that. Maybe you know somebody who thinks like this, or maybe it's you. And the attitude here is, I don't recognize anybody's authority. I don't need anybody telling me what to do. If Jesus wants me to do something, he'll come and tell me himself. I, I cannot think of a single example in all of history where a kingdom is run by a king in such a way that he sits on the phone all day or attends meetings all day so he can tell every layer of the power structure what they ought to be doing for the day. No, a king governs by delegating his authority through a power structure. Matthew 19, Jesus replied, I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. You see the structure there for his disciples. 
And in the very next chapter, the mother of James and John approaches Jesus. She's got a special favor for her baby boys, you know, she wants to ask. Namely, that her boys be allowed to sit on the right and left hand of Jesus when his kingdom is established. And if you read Jesus' reply, you will see he does not deny the fact that these two positions of authority exist. Jesus does not deny the fact that his kingdom has structure. What he does say is that the positions of authority are given based on two criteria. One, having to do with faithfulness and devotion and loyalty and the personal sacrifice of the individual. And the other criteria being the sovereign choosing of Almighty God. So let me remind you, the ecclesia is not an individual. You've been called into an assembly. Called into a relationship with God and with all of his people. And God does provide leadership within his ecclesia. Ephesians chapter 4 lists some of that. So Christ himself gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And you know what I don't see in this list here? I don't see any perfect people. Jesus is the only perfect man. And Jesus, he didn't need any one of us. But he chooses us. He chose you. He called you to himself because he wants you. He wants you to be a part of his kingdom and a part of his purpose and his plan. And Jesus has this great idea. It's called the kingdom of heaven. And he wants you to be a part of it. And I think it's so freeing to know that he wanted all of us involved. That there's not an expectation on his part for perfection before he chose us or before he decides to use us. Do you think that all the disciples agreed about everything 100% of the time? No. But they formed a bond of brotherhood together as they were walking and being taught by Jesus that was unshakable. And just think of the different personalities that he chose. A zealot, a tax collector, fishermen, people of all different educational backgrounds, all ages and levels of maturity. And we see that reflected in the structure of the assembly. We have something called the elders, the presbuteros. These are older men. These are guys with some miles on them. They've got some wisdom and experience. They've got something to say, something to share that they've learned. The overseers, the episcopos. The, from the two words epi, meaning over, and skopos, meaning to see, right? These are overseers. These are people with a gift of administration. They can look at a plan. They can look at a project and know how things need to go together in order to make it work. And we need people like that in the body, don't we? There's some of them called the, de- we call them deacons, you know, in the English. The diakonos. And what does that word mean? It means servants. It means people who will run errands, people who will be ministers and just help. And God knows we need a lot of diakonos. We need a lot of helpers when we're doing something as a church. Is that right? And that purpose of this structure is to equip and to train everybody to have involvement in demonstrating the love of God through the things that we do and the way that we serve. Not to enable or to coddle or entitle, but to promote spiritual maturity in us. Spiritual leadership that Jesus sets apart. They help promote unity. And how do they do that? They serve us that divine blend of of truth and love. Our children will never question that their mommy and daddy love them. But they also understand that mommy and daddy have expectations for behavior. 
and our daily commitment to love our kids and to hold up that standard of truth in the home will result, result in mature and responsible and godly adults. Mila and Noah, you know, they did not sit down on a fluffy cloud in heaven with the big book of parents and flip through pages and pages of options to pick parents in whatever country and whatever time they would wind up. And Kirsten and I, we did not sit down with the big book of babies, you know, and flip through and select from all the potential possible babies and the personalities. No, God chose them to be our babies and God chose us to be their parents. But, you know, Kirsten and I weren't completely out of the process. I mean, you might say we cooperated with the Lord as willing participants in the process. Help us, Lord. So Jesus calls us out to become a part of his assembly. And in Ephesians, it says he gives us spiritual leaders so that we could grow up into spiritual maturity and engage in our destiny as a part of his kingdom in our time. And do you remember the stones that we talked about? They're all shaped differently because God made them. Each one specifically chosen for a reason and for a purpose. But some of them, you know, they have jagged edges on them. Help us, Lord. And they're not even. And when they come together, what happens? Friction. That's right. A stone sitting by itself doesn't experience friction because it's not connected to anything. It also has no purpose. It's not fulfilling anything greater. It's not building anything greater than itself or maybe some moss growing on top of it. No, family, we are living stones. And when we come together, there's going to be some friction. It's going to happen. And I think sometimes, you know, we all have this misconception that, you know, at church, well, we've got to be nice. Now play nice. (laughs) And you've all heard it said, well, if you've got nothing nice to say, then, right? And that's, that's good. I mean, that is good, you know. But nowhere in the Bible does Jesus say, now play nice. He doesn't say that. The fruit of the Spirit doesn't have nice on it, right? It reads this, patience and gentleness and tolerance. It doesn't say niceness. His commandment is greater than just, you know, being nice. He commanded us to love each other. Not to run away and hide from each other, but to have some hard conversations and then forgive each other and then serve each other and love each other. James chapter 5, confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other that you might be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power. It produces wonderful results. I want you to try to imagine what kind of a person you would be today if no one ever corrected you. That would be scary. I wonder if we would even know how to use the bathroom. Every family fights. Every family disagrees about stuff. Every family has friction. Why? Because you care. You care about stuff. And do you always agree 100% of the time with every family member that you have? No, you don't. Thanks for being honest, somebody out there. But you don't stop being a family, and you didn't cut off the relationship. You didn't, you know, turn the cold shoulder and stop talking to each other or stop loving each other just because you didn't agree about something. If the only people that you can have a relationship with are people that agree with you 100% of the time, look, you're going to live a very lonely, very isolated life, and you're not going to be productive or useful for the kingdom of God or anybody else. Romans chapter 12. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. 
And I think one of the keys to maturity and wisdom is learning how to receive love from somebody who does a bad job expressing it. You, you, can, see, you can see past you know, the broken words or the whatever they did, and you could see past that to the intention and receive the love. Or how to hear truth and wisdom from somebody that gives it to you in a way that you didn't like and you didn't appreciate. You see, Jesus isn't looking for perfect vessels. Thank God. He's just looking for yielded vessels. Several years back, there was a, there was a touring exhibit called the Body Exhibit. I don't know, maybe some of you remember that or remember hearing about it. And because we're just like super nerds, we went to it twice. And the exhibit, it consists of human cadavers, right? All just kind of posed in various, you know, places like, you know, whatever. And they're in various states of dissection and they're dyed so that you can see how all the parts of the body work together. It's fascinating. And we learned that in our joints is a frictionless lubricant, that your body just, it naturally produces it. It makes it. It's called lubricin. And it's so effective, it's so efficient that science has been trying to replicate it, trying to manufacture it unsuccessfully. And there will be friction. But the Holy Spirit has anointed this assembly. The oil of his anointing covers us. So let the love of God, let the love of his bride cover everything that you do and everything everybody else does. Psalm 133, how wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. For harmony is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head and and ran down his beard and onto the border of his robe. Harmony is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion. And there the Lord has pronounced his blessing, even life everlasting. Yes, there will be hurts. In the family, there will be misunderstandings in an assembly. There will be disagreements, but we are a family that is anointed to love each other, that is anointed with the love of God to overflow to each other. (laughs) Praise God. Because we are living stones. And sometimes, you know, the stones, we poke each other. We grind each other a little bit. It's okay. Let the lubricant of the Holy Spirit cover and pour over and smooth things out. And let him establish that harmony among all who belong to Jesus. Why? Because we were called together. And the rest of that verse in Ephesians says, From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament. It grows. It builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We're not going to agree all the time. There's going to be some uncomfortable moments. But our great purpose is to love each other and to build each other up so that everything that we do, every ministry and act of service, every conversation that we have, let love cover it. Love will be the lubricant. It will be the fuel. It will be that paste that he uses to bring us together and to build us up because he's building something. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says, Together. We are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone of it is Christ Jesus himself. And we are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. I love that that phrase, carefully joined together. You see, Jesus came and he found you where you were by yourself. And he picked you up and he said, I love you. 
you're my favorite rock. I'm going to put you in this house that I'm building. But in order to fit you in, I've got a space over here. And what I need to do is I need to carefully fit you in. That means I'm going to turn you around and maybe upside down. And that's the perfect spot. And we've got to allow him to do that in us. Because Jesus called you out. He found you where you were and he chose you and he called you to himself and he has a place for you because he's building something and he's bringing us together. And on the cross, Jesus was bringing together all those things that had been torn apart. On the cross, he brought you close to himself and he took all of your sins onto himself and he took the arm of the Father and he said, I'm reconciling you together. I'm making something wonderful. You're making all things new. Jesus is building something in us. Let's let him do it. Come on, stand on your feet and give him praise this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Eyes are closed in his house this morning. Jesus is calling you. He found you. He, he, he thinks you're beautiful. He's made you to be unique. You're not a brick to him. You're a beautiful, unique, and precious stone. And he's calling you to himself. And today, before you leave, you can know that you, are, you belong to him and that you are precious to him. Will you let him pick you up and, and lift off those burdens of sin and chains of bondage and slavery that have been holding you back? You can leave today knowing that you're a part of what he wants, a part of his kingdom, that you belong to him. If you're here this morning and you, and you want to pray for forgiveness and know that you belong to Jesus, would you raise your hand this morning? I want to pray with you.